Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Would you like to wake and bake with me like three times a week? Uh, would you like to hear me talk to my wife about intimate details about our personal life, which in 21 years of being married ain't really all that exciting anymore? Would you like to hear all the old episodes of Fat Man on Batman, where I used to sit down and record one-on-one interviews with people and stuff? Uh, do you want to listen to old episodes of Jane Silent Bob Get Old? There's one place where you got to go, man. Join me at That Kevin Smith Club. That's right. If you go to thatkevinsmithclub.com, you can join as a clerk or a mall rat or a yoga hoser or a fun employee, man. There's all different levels. Uh, but you get access to really cool stuff, including cartoons nobody sees anymore, uh, stand-up specials nobody's ever seen, movies people don't get to see anymore. It's all right there in the Smithsonian screening room, man. And the uh, podcast library is deep, kids. It's deep, man, except for Hollywood Babylon. That's available over at the Ralph Report. So, for everything else, come to thatkevinsmithclub.com, man. And we want to club you. Don't you want to club Kevin Smith? Here's your chance. Thatkevinsmithclub.com. Greetings, children, and dare you step inside the vegan abattoir. I'm Kevin Smith. And I'm Harley Quinn Smith. Yes, that's right, man. Me and the little kid, we're doing our podcast from different parts of the world. I am in Los Angeles, where a celebration continues for the recent election of uh, President-elect Joe Biden. And Harley is in Dallas. Where things are different. (laughs) (laughs) Where there's a decidedly different tone. How was election day for you there, kid? Um, so I was very sad I wasn't home. You missed a food orgy. That's how we celebrated. I woke your mother up, man. I was like, get up. It happened. And we ordered crossroads and just laid in bed eating all day long. Just like, oh, can you feel a brand new day? I was sitting there going like, oh, my God, a new beginning. I should hike Runyon. And I was like, fuck that. I should eat crossroads. And I ate Kachapura. Oh, so good. I'm... I didn't have a similar experience. <laughs> um, I I feel like this is like um, that SNL sketch with Kate McKinnon where, where she has like the worst alien experience yeah. and the other people have the normal experience. Um, She's like, there I am, porky pigging it away. <laughs> I had a little bit of a different experience. Um, we were obviously watching the news for like five days straight. And when... Joe Biden became the president-elect, thank God. There were celebrations all over the country, actually all over the world. Even in London and Paris, they were like ringing church bells. And um, I saw so many pictures and videos of LA and I was so homesick and I so wanted to be in my city and celebrate with my people and my family. And so I was feeling a little sad. Um, But then... Austin and I thought, let's let's drive around. I, I mean, let's go see some people celebrating here. I'm sure it, will, it won't be the same as LA, but it will make us feel better. Um, we saw one person, <laughs> literally one person in uh, all of like downtown Dallas and all of 
Oaklawn, which is the gay district of Dallas, like rainbow sidewalks and stuff. So I had higher hopes. <laughs> and there was literally one person with a handmade sign that was like scribbled Biden Harris. <laughs> <laughs> over here in Los Angeles, we were like, Biden! And they're over there in Dallas. That one person was like, also like fearing for their lives (laughs) um so yeah not as fun Um, but still same result harley for those who turned in late tuned in late uh uh, is in dallas working on her uh show cruel summer um and of course uh austin is with her and uh she brought her two cats and she brought a rabbit um and she forced her geriatric grandparents to get into an RV and fucking Porky Pig it across the country uh, to get Why her Why do you keep college. saying Porky Pig? <laughs> what? That's what Kate McKinnon says in that sketch where she talks about not having pants on. She was like, I was flat out Porky Pig. And <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, so they went, uh, they, Nan and Pop were gracious enough to drive. Harley and a drive with Harley and Austin. Austin, I saw photos of Austin driving. Did you ever drive the big rig? No. No. I, I would never trust myself. I'll let my man that. do it. I let the man do the driving. That's how I was raised. Hey. I, I just need to be taken care of. You do the driving. That's Why didn't you drive it. the big rig? That's not it. It's because you taught me how to drive and you are literally the scariest driver on this earth. And therefore, I'm the, maybe the second scariest driver on this earth. So I don't want to put anyone's life at risk. <laughs> so, no, it's not because I wanted someone else to drive. It's because I had a not responsible driving teacher. That's true, man. You, uh, I was accusing you of being a modern day Miss Daisy, but you're like, I was trying to save the lives of people because I drive like an asshole. I'm like, well, why do you drive like an asshole? And she's like, I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, the uh, the trip uh, took a couple of days. You got to see some shit. You you, you stayed at campgrounds. Uh, yeah, the, the, so the first, the first night of the trip was really so cute. Um, I honestly am not sure where we were. (laughs) I think, I think we were in Arizona, uh, for the first night and we stayed at a KOA campsite and, Mm. um, that's a brand of campsite K O A. Yeah. I think it's like one of I've always saw us. Yeah. You know, we had a bus at one point, so I've seen. I've seen those signs as I cross the country. Yeah, I think it's like a classic campsite sort of situation. It sounds like an inverted AOK. Maybe that's what they're going for. KOA. What's AOK? Back in the day, you would say everything's AOK. Oh, I think it's a military term. Oh yeah, it is. So now, yeah, I don't know. And they're like, <laughs> let's call it AOK, and they're like, we can't. Fucking garbage company has it instead. Like, we'll be uh, KOA. <laughs> it's. The the first one was really cute. We got there kind of late at night and it was before Halloween and everybody was carving pumpkins outside of their trailers and um like they were screening Casper the Friendly Ghost, which we didn't participate in because of COVID, but that was happening and there were like all the trailers in the RVs had little Halloween lights on them. It was so cute and I actually enjoyed it so much. Um, the second night was a different experience. You were like, uh, we saw a human sacrifice at the second campsite. Pretty much. Um, it was, <laughs> Race to the devil. 
in uh uh what is it uh, amarillo amarillo mm-hmm. texas um it was a very beautiful and fun drive until the moment we entered texas and then it shit went really downhill really fast <laughs> and it was uh really scary uh past the actual largest slaughterhouse in existence maybe i mm-hmm. uh, like austin was like close your eyes and i didn't open my eyes for like five minutes <laughs> austin's like i'm driving i'm driving i can't close my eyes and then the rv crashed into the slaughterhouse <laughs> and then i freed all the cows in <laughs> <laughs> like the smell from the slaughterhouse lingered for 10 minutes it was crazy. yeah that's that happens when you cross country man you, you, you pass that sometimes and you're like Ooh. and i, I remember I was driving cross country lots in the bus before I was vegan. And even then that scent was like, you know, offensive to me. Now I would imagine and be like, Oh my God. And I'd also be like, set them free. I know it's so, set they, them free. they were like, it, I mean, I saw for maybe one second before I closed my eyes, but it wasn't like we passed many past, What's that word? Pastures. We even passed me pasture. I can't say that word. We passed the pasture. We passed the pasture. We I can't say it too many times fast. We went by a pasture. Fields of cows. (laughs) We passed many fields of cows. Um, But like they're kind of doing their own thing. So even in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, they're being raised for slaughter. I'm still like, okay, they're hanging out and they have all this land. So it's, it's, they have a better life. But this was like they were all crammed into little areas. It was literally right on the side of the highway. It was like the craziest thing ever. And so we passed that. And then a few minutes later, we arrived at the campsite. And um, we were also next to the train tracks. And so it was. Oh, and there was a a (laughs) windstorm. Uh, so it was just not an overall positive experience. Definitely not as cute and family friendly as the first uh, campsite. <laughs> right. Have uh, you seen uh, Texas, I believe, is a open carry state. Have you seen people with guns um, <laughs> who aren't police officers? Uh, yes. At this at this same campsite. I didn't see it, but um, Austin and Pa went to. They got robbed at gunpoint. <laughs> yep. I didn't see it, but they were robbed by a man with a gun. <laughs> but it happened. I didn't see it. <laughs> they went to go dump the septic tank. Uh, the and Somebody was like, click, click. Step away from the shithouse, boy. <laughs> Not quite. It was... <laughs> the the trailer next to us uh somebody came out to i i don't know if he came out because he saw paul and austin were struggling i'm not really sure but oh literally uh, came out of the trailer not the california coming out where he was like i'm gay and you've got no, no, no. he literally came out of the trailer and okay. uh he was wearing a maga hat and no mask and had a gun <laughs> and austin and pa were just trying to remain calm um are you well, sure you are you sure you weren't just watching yosemite sam cartoons sounds... was more like it yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe he was missing a shirt because he had just been defeated by bugs bunny bugs bunny tricked him out of his shirt 
I think it was I think it was maybe that it was um we were not in LA anymore that's for sure <laughs> it's true you probably uh, let me see how do I put this uh I'm, I'm, yeah I'm, I wouldn't call you a sheltered kid but like I grew up like uh Lower, 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 middle class. And the older I get, the more comfortable I'm saying, I grew up poor. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I'm i not going to say, like, uh, those are my people, but, like, I grew up with very similar people, even though we weren't in fucking Texas and stuff like that. Um, and even though, of course, we didn't have open carry laws for guns and whatnot. But I, I'm not going to say I come from that world, but, like, you know, my world is not that though that I came from was not that far removed from from the world you just described. So when you describe it to me, I'm like, oh yes, sounds like my childhood. And then watching you talk about it, hearing you talk about it, it it's like listening to somebody go like, and then when I stepped onto the surface of Mars, I met the Martians. Like it, it's good though to expose yourself to other people. You gotta, you know, it's a big beautiful country and sometimes in that big beautiful country dudes come out with no shirts on and have guns yeah uh. didn't you hear the vice president uh, the president-elect gave a speech where he said you know it's time to put away the differences and folk there there's we're getting a call right now from, <laughs> from one of them there red states going hey get off our dick man we ain't california we didn't grow up with crossroads, man. No, my friend from the from the trailer park is calling. <laughs> yeah, going like, are you talking about me? I've got a shirt on now. Um, yeah, man, it's it it's a it's a I I personally am a big fan of where you uh, are in Texas. Uh, I, a lot of people like Austin, of course. I love Austin as well, but there's a little area around where you are called Denton, Texas, which I absolutely fucking love. I have one of the most wonderful, memorable, 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 memorable nights of my uh, young filmmaker life when, when we showed Chasing Amy there years ago. And like smart kids were sitting around talking about it to me and Scott Mosier, like at a coffee house. Coffee house that had a second floor, so we were outdoors on the roof. And I didn't have a college experience and stuff quite like yourself. So like anytime there was a quasi college experience, it, it you know, it, it, I was like, this is what it would have been like if I fucking played it by rules and I did what everyone else did. Like I'd be at college and I'd be sitting around a coffee house chatting with, you know, fucking other students with somebody about their work. And, you know, cause I was almost their age, college age and stuff. But here it was a little different cause I was like the one they were talking to which made it even better, right? Because if I had just gone to college and I went to some coffee shop and I'd be like, who wants to talk to me? Nobody would want to fucking talk to me. <laughs> but since I made Chasing Amy and Clerks and all rides before that, and I went to the coffee shop, who wants to talk to me? People are like, all right, we'll talk to this fucking fool. <laughs> so I, I love it. J- uh, Jason uh, Lee moved there for a while. He lived in, in Denton, Texas. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Before he came out here, now he's back in Los Angeles. But he was there for years raising his family and stuff. Um, but when you were talking about, you know, the other day on Saturday, she was like, everyone's celebrating but us. Where is our celebration? I was like, why don't you fucking get your asses in a car and go to Austin? You know they're going to sell you there. Shit, you could fucking smoke weed in the streets at Austin the way I hear it and whatnot. And these kids were like, it's too far to celebrate. 
<laughs> You're obsessed with saying Sally. <laughs> I'm trying to be hip. He trying to keep it hip for our young audience. He won't stop saying <laughs> instead of celebration. Why didn't you just go to Austin? I'm so curious. Like you know that they were dancing in the streets there, I'm sure. I mean, it was a little like late at night when we were like we were watching the news kind of until like it was dark out. And then by so, the way, so by spoiled. The- so spoiled. You're like, it was late by the time we wanted to sell so Selly in Austin. It was so rude. <laughs> so rude to me. Why didn't the Selly come to us? <laughs> it's also, I don't know if you recall or had experiences. Literally the worst place I have ever driven in in my whole life. It is so Texas? scary to drive here. Yes. Is it right? Why? The first day I went to work, I almost got in a car crash. It's so scary to drive here. Oh my what God. Are they doing? What are they doing differently? Well, one, like I'm firing guns into the air while they drive around. Basically, yeah. And it's distracting. No, it's just very, <laughs> like, I don't, there's so. You many. hit a bird, you son of a bitch. Ooh, I gotta watch the road. I've also almost had two birds in my windshield. I don't know what's really happening here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really kind of weird. But it's, Texas, oh it's the mystery of Texas. On a happier note, though, they're yeah. right where I, I live now, which is weird to say. Um, there is a community of ducks in mm. the place that I live. Like, 25 to 50 ducks that just live here and i saw ducklings yesterday so that was little baby ducks get out of here tiny ones there's your fucking celly you've got a duck (laughs) celly there was my (laughs) celly the ducks walking around is my celly and sometimes if it rains then they sit in a puddle together after after like when there's little puddles on the street they sit on a puddle together and all huddle together huddle in a puddle and it's very cute oh my god that is adorable huddle in a puddle is a great little rhyme man you should you got time while you're sitting around waiting to shoot episodes of your show go write a book called the huddle in a puddle about the little ducklings that's cute should i make an austin draw uh i don't think so olivia can draw why don't you reach out to olivia she can draw your book you can write the book you're off and run i wish i wasn't so fucking I've got such a mercantile instinct. I'm like, oh, this is how you make money. You take that fun idea and you turn it into a book and you go out and just sell that book. You're ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know that I'm ridiculous. I, in many ways, I think I'm incredibly patriotic or American because that's such an American, like I, you don't, you're probably not familiar with like, uh, like uh, the movie, Barry Levinson movie, Avalon, which was a wonderful biopic that he made about his young life and you know his parents or grandparents i think it was his parents um came over from like another country and stuff like that so america was everything he was first generation or second generation like born in the country but like he lived with a family business whereas they they, you know started small and fucking built up this business and shit like that so his grandfather you know come over on the boat and shit was always like a, a very appreciative of America and stuff. And he had an incredible work ethic. Sometimes I feel like I have the work ethic of a like first generation immigrant, even though I know that we're not like, I, as far as my family goes, I think like um, we're, it's largely German. And I think most of them were 
like my grandfather was born in this country. And I think my, on my mom's side and who I'm not technically related to anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And none of this matters anyway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> now that I think about it, but, um, and my, my grandparents were also born here on my dad's side. So it's not like, I, I don't think they were kids who came over and were like appreciative. They were kind of like me and you were born here. So you stop being appreciative and you just become fucking full of expectation. You know, where you're like, Hey man, I'm an American. These are my rights. Mm-hmm. But folks that come over here, like uh, at least as depicted in the movie Avalon, which is all I'm going <laughs> off of, um, like so fucking crazy appreciative and like had this incredible work ethic. And when I saw that movie years ago, like I was working at RST video on quick stop. It was before I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, I think. And I just remember being like, I don't feel like that about anything. Like the, the idea of like, I'm going to work hard and build something and shit like that and put in like 12, 14 hours a day. But then after like clerks happen, that's all I do is when I'm like, Oh, you could do this and this could happen. And then it could be a job. Like I think I'm but spoiled by that one experience where I'm like, you could probably, you know, capture a fart in a jar and put a label on it and you could fucking, that could be sold too. Everything could be sold. You literally do. I also have had moments where you're not home and I'm like, should I take something from his office and sell it? <laughs> Good Lord. Um, just ask for money, man. Like, I'm, I'll fucking pay values and I don't want to walk in and be like, where's my childhood heirloom that my father gave me? I'm pretty sure at one point there was like a pile of clothes that you weren't like you were gonna get rid of or something. Mom and I were like looking at each other like, uh <laughs> you guys are vultures. You Look, did, all you have to do is wait until I drop dead, all this shit becomes more valuable. I keep telling you and I tell mom, I'm like, you know, because mom's always picking on me about my office and shit. She's like, I need so much crap. And I'm like, every piece of crap in here can be sold the moment I die. We could sell it for a little bit while I'm alive. But if I'm dead, I said, this is what you're going to need to to thrive off of, man, is like all my my leavings. Oh, <laughs> uh, your leavings? <laughs> you're not, you're not, that's not happening anytime soon. I know because I'm vegan to get back on fucking message. <laughs> vegan kids. <laughs> Let's talk about the biggest fucking news in veganism. Um, uh, which is uh, huge. Well, there's a bunch of little cute news stories that tie into our common shared interest here and whatnot. Uh, veganism, of course, uh, it also goes along with it, uh, you know, love of animals, as we know. Uh, some of us uh, donate to mercy for animals on a regular basis uh, because their daughters were like, do it, and he did it and stuff. So <laughs> um, in big news this week, uh, when we got a vice, uh, when we got a president elect, Joe Biden, uh, we also face a, a, a happy future in the White House where dogs return. Woohoo! And rescue dogs for the and first time. That's an even, an even more poignant uh, chapter of the story. Is this not just, uh, you know, like somebody give me the most photogenic looking dog? These are dogs that people are like, the dog's broken. I'm going to chuck it out. And somebody <laughs> saved it and rescued it. <laughs> That's kind of what it's like. And, uh, and, and these are the dogs that Biden has. So these are the dogs that are going to go into the White House. And it, you know, I, it never occurred to me with everything else that has gone on over the course of the last few years with this administration 
that the simple human like uh, symbol of dog ownership was also <laughs> abandoned. Yeah. Like, there was no white house pet of any sort not even like he's like look i like turtles so that's um, i got turtles like nothing no pets whatsoever i would never ever ever want him to have an animal though would not trust maybe it'd make him different like it'd create empathy and compassion in a way like maybe that's the problem not enough animals in the dude's life there is one though doesn't doesn't Mike Pence or his daughter have a rabbit? Yes, somebody had a rabbit because John Oliver did that book. Yeah. The rabbit's name was Marlon Bundo. Bundo. They should take the bunny away and give it <laughs> to me. Yeah, but I'm sure that bunny is well cared for. That bunny don't care who's in the White House. That bunny's just like, whoever gives me the carrot, that's who I fucking love. That's true. <laughs> but maybe the bunny is like, Joe Biden. Yeah, the bunny's like, look, I'm 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 Bunny Biden. Bunny's for Biden, but I don't got to tell them that because they feed me. That's true. Um, the so that's really sweet, man. Not only is it a dog coming back to the White House, which is another like ah normalcy, but it's a rescue dog, which is really sweet, man. Like the message, of course, being like, what is it? Don't shop, adopt. I got so many of these poor so dogs. Close. Just a little, just <laughs> out of order. Adopt, don't shop. Is that what it is? <laughs> I was going to say, like, don't chop them up, adopt. <laughs> so, so I guess close. the shop version was better. Um, Shecky is the last dog we'll probably ever have that was purchased out of oh, a mall. Oh, yeah. Last animal to ever be purchased, for sure. Um, Shecky yeah. is how old now? 15. Wow. Shecky's amazing. I was just, uh, and she's, you know, incredible fucking individual everything about her is majestic but i was looking at like shecky when she was born or when she was at the pet store where me and harley picked her out there were two doctions there was a boy and a girl and we went for the girl um her tail when we brought her home we noticed like there was something up with her tail yeah like it looked like it got busted and at a young age and mind you we got her when she was tiny puppy so her whole life, she's had this weird crooked tail that's kind of stiff in the middle, but she wags her entire ass. She's so full of joy that she gets it going. But I have seen images recently of, I don't want to say it out loud, but real doctions. Hey. And their, well, she's sleeping. And their, and their unbroken tails. And it is a completely different fucking beast. Like Shecky was really shortchanged in the tail department with that bust in the middle. Like I started feeling bad for her. Like she can't truly fucking like every doction I've seen, I've been watching videos then do this shit. Like I'm, I'm Harley's looking at me at zoom so she can see the picture and I'm forgetting, it. This <laughs> podcast. but they wave like trees, like palm trees in the wind and shit. And Shecky's is now noticeably to me like affected. Like for years, your mom's always been like, your dog with a busted tail. I was like, she ain't got no busted tail. But now I've seen some videos and I'm like, that fucking tail is busted. You know what else we did last night? Me and your mother spent 20 minutes watching videos on YouTube on the big TV of this Canadian man in Nova Scotia feeding 30 raccoons on his plate. Oh my God. And these were the fattest, roundest 
raccoons you've ever seen in your life. Didn't look like any raccoon I'd ever seen around here, man. These, but he was in winter and it was like snowing and shit like that. He's like, it's coming down real hard tonight. So I got to make sure that there, I got 10 pounds of Frank's. And so we're going to give them out. And he set up a camera, you know, and he's like, I, I started getting invested in his life. Cause I'm like, does he have a wife? Is he alone? Um, he must be. Cause no right thinking spouse would be like, go out and feed all these fucking feral raccoons. But you should see the footage. The man sits on, on a fucking bench on his porch with a bucket of raw hot dogs and gives them out. And they all come up with their fingers going like, please, please, please. And he hands them hot dogs. They take the hot dogs and hold them and eat them with their fingers or walk away. And the ones that are waiting, they all wait. They're all sitting there like fucking, like it's, it is a sick amount of raccoons. It looks adorable. You look like you want to dive into it and just roll around. It looks so plushy. Um, but they don't make cute noises. They're all like, you know, whenever they get shitty, (laughs) but they don't get shitty with him, man. And they all pawed his leg, like grab his leg to be like, like a little baby, please. Can I have that? It's crazy how far five digits will go. You know what I'm saying? Like how, like we love dogs and stuff, but there's a true separation with dogs because they don't have this shit. You know, mm-hmm. they can't do, they can't grab things. But like the raccoons, literally their hands look like ours and function like ours. And as such, as you watch him dealing with the raccoons, you're like, no wonder he's so comfortable with them. They're like furry little children. They all look like baby Yodas surrounding <laughs> him and like asking for frog's eggs or whatever. It was adorable. Then he would bring out cookies. He's like, I got some Oreos and I got some of the, the vanilla Oreos as well. And then just spills them out on the deck. And then the raccoons pick them up with two hands and eat them like a sandwich. Oh, my God. And normally when I'm like surfing YouTube, your mom's like, turn that off. Put on a real program. But she got into it. She was like, oh, my God, look at all those raccoons. <laughs> and she was like, this man's very brave. And the dude was just a- adorable with all his like chatter and stuff. He's like, this one I call Steven Spielberg. oh my god oh my god he's a hero it was adorable he's got a series of these videos where he goes sits there and hangs out with the raccoons and feeds them man can he go Um, on vegan abattoir i know i want to talk to him i mean well he is giving out hot dogs so that's kind of mixed message (laughs) (laughs) i don't i'm sure he wasn't buying vegan hot dogs he was like i went down to the walmarts and i bought 10 pounds of hot dogs because you know, the winter's coming in and nature's telling them, you got to get this food in you. You got to get it in you. So they're going to eat it. Look at them. And there was one, like when my man scattered the buckets of cookies and shit, 30, you know, fucking raccoons were all over and shit. There was one raccoon who was sitting on the bench who was still busy eating the hot dog from the first course. And he didn't get a cookie. And he was like on the bench looking around, trying to see under everybody, be like, is there none? None left. He didn't get dessert. But then the old man came back out with more hot dogs. Motherfucker got another hot dog. So I guess he wasn't complaining. Then the old man brought out like kibble, dog kibble. Oh so my God. It, like in a line across the deck and they would all kind of line up. And it's adorable because they got the tiny little hands. They each pick up a kibble and like, like they're ah. eating chips. I'm telling you, this video is worth your time. There's a few of them too. <laughs> What's this man's username? Do you know? I don't know, but just go to YouTube and be like, old Canadian fuck feeds raccoon. 
hot dogs. And that might be <laughs> the algorithm might find it. Um, but he's pleasant as hell. He's got to be in Nova Scotia because he's talking about um, uh, some bridge and, and, and um, like that. He's like, oh, they're talking about the bridge. It's, it's, uh, it's going to be closed so because the weather's getting real hard. So they're, the little guys are going to have it so hard. So I figure it's time for a hot dog party. He has a hot dog party. <laughs> Amazing. But I mean, I'm telling you, you've never seen raccoons like these. They're just round as fuck. Um, <laughs> adorable. Jennifer, your, my wife, uh, your mother, was instantly like, I'm putting all the trash on the deck so we can attract raccoons too. And I'm like, you'll attract rats. <laughs> like these people, they, they live out in the woods where, you know, like raccoons live and shit like that. We will just get rats showing up, you know, fucking vermin shit like that. Mom's empty nesting too hard. <laughs> she wants kidding. to attract the raccoons. No, no, with trash. Like, my daughter's gone, so I want an army of raccoons that I can love. <laughs> and they won't leave me. And they won't go to Texas. And they'll be my friend forever. Oh. Oh. I can imagine mom with us with a herd of raccoons for some reason. No doubt. I mean, that's what she's aiming for. She's still trying to fucking lure more squirrels to come back, but not having much luck so now she's like trying for raccoons and shit might have to just settle and get her fucking panda or something like that of her own a panda yeah a little panda cub can you buy those no they have those (laughs) shelters people get rid of panda cubs they're like i'm done with this this one's broken no it's not like a German. i can see people giving up pandas because they're always trying to get pandas to fuck and mate and shit so i could see somebody being like this panda won't fuck i'm giving it up (laughs) (laughs) i want one he's a busted panda but the panda is like i just wasn't into anybody he introduced me to man like (laughs) i like somebody that likes the same music i'm into oh my god into early nirvana like a lot of i like whole (laughs) that's the panda yeah that's the panda um speaking of adorable uh animals that need saving segue yes uh we have a friend of ours someone we know who uh takes this uh animal loving thing to the craziest degree man so much so that she hopped a few continents and made it her mission in life to go stand in front of people that want to hurt rhinos put herself between uh harm to a rhino uh and some bastard who would do harm to a rhino man uh you know in terms of loving animals she's doing the big work and and by big i mean the big animals like it's easy to love on dogs and like everybody adopt a shelter pet uh our guest today is is like doing shit out of epic storybooks where you go to a foreign land and you fucking stand up for those who can't speak for themselves and endangered species like uh truly an animal avenger if you will, which was also the name of her organization. Oh. <laughs> uh, she uh, has a new uh, foundation for the last few years, um, uh, the Shannon Elizabeth Foundation. It's called, you can find her on Twitter and you can find her on Instagram and whatnot. And you found her in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot last year where she played uh, Harley's mom. She returned as the character uh, Justice from Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Revealing that uh, she had uh, mothered a child with Jay all those years ago, resulting in uh, Millennium Falcon, uh, as played by Harley Quinn Smith. 
So uh, it was beautiful, fun, uh, nostalgic, wonderful uh, to have Shannon back in the movie because we could tell the story, you know, by having her in there. Otherwise, I don't know how to get the whole kid thing to happen and stuff. Um, but uh, as much as uh, I think Harley enjoyed, you know, working with her, it was getting to know the real Shannon who, uh, yeah, she acts, but like, that's not her true bag in life. Her true bag in life is like all the shit that Harley would want to do. It's I'm, I'm, I mean, my mind is still blown. I I remember her saying this all to me for the first time when we were on set. And I was just like, what, what, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what? It's so, it's like she's living the dream that I had when I was a kid and elephants were my whole life. (laughs) And it's so crazy that she, she moved to South Africa. She literally is hands on in the bush, like. Truly, Which sounds way fucking dirtier than you meant it. But that's you know, not go. what I meant at all, and you know that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's she's really there. Like we can all talk about it, and we can all advocate, but it's a very different experience when you're actually there doing this work in person. Which is most of us are slacktivists, but fucking Shannon is truly an activist. She's actually acting, getting out there, and then putting her her. Uh, money not her money where her mouth is although she's done that but her body like where her mouth is it's not she's not just talking a good game she's playing the game uh she's uh she's not just talking the talk she's walking the walk we can do metaphors up the ass all night but what we're really saying is she's we sit here and talk about like we love the animals her life is committed to loving animals, to helping animals, not just being like, I'm, I'm a big fan. She's like, well, sometimes you got to go further. So while we were shooting Jay and Silent Bob reboot, you know, Shannon was uh, telling Harley, she's like, you got to come out like to South Africa, come stay with me for a uh, summer or whatever to help me. And you can like hang out with rhinos and whatnot. And as a father, I was like, don't fucking ever do that. I <laughs> know. Don't get on a plane. <laughs> Don't go to any other places where they have wild animals that could eat you. Because where they got rhinos, they got lions. And lions, lions are hungry. So uh, Shannon, you know, thankfully the world fell into this quarantine thing. So I didn't have to think about it. About <laughs> you going overseas uh, for a while, at least until there's a vaccine. But um, Harley, uh, of course, talked to uh, Shannon early on when we started Vegan Aptois about coming on and, uh, and being a guest. And uh, they finally made time and were able to do that. Shannon's old time vegan, right? She's been vegan long before you I and mean, me. She's been involved in animal rights activism for a very long time. She, she explains how she got into it, but she's been doing it for a long time. Well, let's find out, man. I mean, look, I know a lot about Shannon because uh, she's a big part of everything I've I've done and stuff. Um, uh, so I assume I know a lot of things about Shannon. I also assume I'm going to learn a lot more new things. Oh, just uh, you wait. Because of your deep dive interview. So without further ado, uh, justice. Harley finally gets some justice <laughs> as Shannon Elizabeth uh, joins us here on Vegan Abattoir. 
Hi, Shannon. I'm so excited that you're here and I really miss you. So this is a really just good opportunity to talk to you, just an excuse to hang out virtually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I love that you're doing this. It's such a great platform and you're such a loud voice for, for vegans everywhere. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, you have literally done an insane amount for animals. I I can't even really wrap my head around what you have done, and I admire it so much. Um, can you tell me where your journey with veganism and animal rights started? Gosh, it's hard to know exactly, but I, I can tell you that... I'll, I'll hit a few key points. I've always loved animals since I was a little kid. Um, and I always swore when I got older, I was going to have tons of animals because I wasn't allowed to have them when I was little. And, um, and then so when I, when I did American Pie, it was the first time I was in a position to um, give back. And I had some dogs, some rescue dogs, and decided I wanted to eat, I wanted to give to help rescue dogs. And in my journey of trying to decide, like, how I was going to do that, I ended up just deciding to start my own foundation, start my own charity. So it was called Animal Avengers, which was a dog and cat rescue in LA. And then I think it was shortly after that, I... I hosted or I uh, presented an award at a thing called the Genesis Awards. And the Genesis Awards will give awards to anybody who has helped animals over the course of that year in any medium. So whether you wrote an article that helped them or did a film or anything. Mm. And I just remember that I was giving the last award of the night. And there were some awards before that where people had written about how a cow, I think the title was dying piece by piece. And it was literally how a cow went to the slaughterhouse and from the slaughterhouse, he would go to the butcher and quite often he wouldn't be dead. And the butcher would still start cutting him up while he was alive. And I was crying and crying and crying and I couldn't stop. I couldn't even, they couldn't even pull me together to present my award. I was having such a hard time doing it because this whole show, I was just in tears Um, because there was a similar story about chickens and what, what they go through um, in a chicken slaughterhouse. And literally that was the last, I, I didn't eat meat after that. That was it. Like I, I just decided I couldn't. I couldn't participate in that. And I had tried to go vegan once before, and I didn't really know how to. And I, ha- I just remember having a photo shoot, and, and then I got really sick because I ended up not eating and because there was no food around. And it was just this whole thing of a, like a failed attempt at going vegan. Right. But after going to this award show, that was just it for me. Um, and I, and I was already not eating much meat as it was, but that was the, the kind of the nail in the coffin for me. And, and, and that's why I think knowledge is power. Like, you know, people, people react when they know what's happening, when they see something happening or when they're closely associated in a way. 
So it's so important to, to share our stories and, and for people to, to watch some of these videos that are hard to watch because, you know, I, I tell people just because you're not watching it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I know it can be hard, but if you're in a space of learning, that's the only way to learn. And once you're, you're, once you know what's happening, you don't need to keep torturing yourself watching the videos over and over. But, but I think it is important to watch some of them and know what's going on out there because, you know, knowledge, knowledge is power when you put it into action and it's important. That's kind of my journey. I 100% agree with, with everything you just said. I think that is so important for those videos to exist and, and for the undercover investigation videos and all wow. of that because it really that really is the tipping point for a lot of people because we're we're so you know just trained to not think about that kind of thing or think about yeah. what these animals are going through but yeah when you see it there's like no going back you can't really unsee something so horrible right and and i think with the younger generation i mean I, I remember being at a, like a vacation kind of thing with some families and there was a little boy that came up to me um, and he just saw that I was eating something different than everyone else. And he was like, why are you eating that? Why didn't you eat with us? And I told him that I, I don't eat meat. And he goes, but why not? And I said, well, because I just, because it's an animal and I love animals and I don't want to eat animals. He's like, it's not an animal. I'm like, oh, wow, there is an education thing here going on where, you know, you, I don't know at what age you figure out that meat is an animal, like a living, breathing, soulful, you know, soul. Right. Um, because when, when you're fed meat when you're really young, you don't know. And so somewhere along your journey, you find out and then you make a decision about it. Or, I, you know, a lot of people really I think back in the day, didn't really have that choice and maybe still don't have the choice of saying, well, I'm not going to eat this because a lot of families, it's like, this is your food and you're going to eat it no matter what, you know? No, a lot of people don't have that choice. Yeah. So at at some point you, you try to have that choice, I guess, or you, you make a decision that, that you live with. I don't know. I mean, everyone's journey is so different. And I think the most important thing is that you support people on the journey wherever they are at. Because it's not like you can just easily give up meat and throw out everything you have that's leather and just change everything. Because it's really difficult. Because there's, there's a lot of things that, that come about that you don't realize when you go from completely not thinking about what being vegan is to becoming vegan. And so I don't think that you have to go a hundred percent vegan overnight. That's it's, it's about a little bit at a time and doing what you can. And maybe you just cut back on meat one day a week or maybe three days a week. And maybe you decide not to buy anything that's leather anymore and maybe you change from regular milk to almond milk. And, and it's, it's a slow progression. And if you do it that way, then it feels right to you and you'll stick with it. And I think that's really important because 
so many people get villainized for not doing something a hundred percent. You know, it's like, oh, you say you don't eat meat, but what are your shoes made of? Or what is your purse made of? And it's like, why are you trying to find fault in somebody who's trying to better themselves and better the world? I, I always say exactly what you just said. There's, there's no need to do it overnight. I certainly did, didn't do it overnight. It definitely took me, it took me a whole year to go from vegetarian to vegan. And then once I was vegan, it took me a long time to realize that you know, there were other things that needed to change too, like my cosmetics and my, my wardrobe yeah. and uh, everything. I, I, I didn't understand that when I first went vegan. Yeah, but, me neither. And, but people will certainly let you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you might not know, but somebody will let you know and then you know. <laughs> exactly. A vegan somewhere will definitely let you know you can feel confident about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember when I was, um, gosh, I don't remember what film I was promoting, but I had done, um, I was asked to do a cosmetic promotion in a magazine for uh, breast cancer awareness. And I didn't think anything of it other than great it's for breast cancer awareness because I didn't know at the time about what was in cosmetics and animal cruelty and stuff and I think it was for Revlon and boy did I get crucified for that and it's like I had no idea but I did after that (laughs) it's part of the progression it's part of the learning and you know and it's like yeah that's I know more now just because as you get older and you live life, that's the joy of life is that wisdom comes with it. But it's a, there's a lot out there. There's a lot to learn and we're all still on that journey. And now it's not even about the company, but who's the parent company? Like who owns that company? You have to go even deeper than you used to have to go. Right. So we're always learning. We'll never stop learning. That's, exactly. That's and new stuff comes out every day to, to, you know, help us be more compassionate and steer away from any cruel products. Like there, there are things that happen every single day in different brands that either decide to go cruelty free or some brands that like reverse their stance on it. I remember, is it, oh, NARS? I think that's what it's called, that makeup brand. They, I remember so distinctly seeing them go from cruelty free to then testing on animals again I, oh my god yeah I, I know i because i think that they wanted to sell their products in china again uh, wow so it's so like there are so many different things you have to pay attention to uh and it's it's i mean once you're once you're in it, it it's not hard uh but starting off you know there's a lot to learn for sure a lot yeah. to learn and like you were saying a lot to learn about for cosmetics specifically, like what their parent company is, because if their parent company sells in China or tests on animals, because uh, you and I know, but just in case anybody doesn't, if your product is sold in China, China requires animal testing by law. So any product that is sold there automatically becomes animal tested and therefore not cruelty free. So there's so much to learn. There are so many yeah. different levels of it. So I definitely think that vegans have to remember to treat 
humans with uh, an equal amount of compassion as to animals because we're yeah. there's so much to take in and there's so much to adapt to. I I remember when I was towards the earlier part of my veganism journey when I was wearing leather boots and like suede boots, I remember one year I went to Sundance and Sundance is so cold. And so I was like, I was just bringing all my boots and my jackets and whatever. And I had no idea that I was wearing animal products because I didn't even think about it. And people online were like, um, hi, this, what are you doing? Like, this is, this isn't vegan. This isn't cruelty free. And I just honestly had no idea. And it, I mean, it helped because I, it, it, you know, allowed me to see what I was doing that I didn't know before. Um, But yeah, people were definitely unnecessarily uh, a little aggressive about it. And it's like, that's not necessary. That's, I don't, I don't think that's the route that vegans should take when trying to, you know, convert other vegans or help help others go vegan. Yeah, well, or anything even similar, because if you're attacking somebody, what is, what is, like, if you corner a dog that's, you know, in a corner and you're attacking him, what's he going to do? He's going to fight back. You're not going to win him over that way. You know, he's going to protect himself. And so... If, if you're trying to teach somebody something, you need to do it with compassion and then they'll listen. But if you attack them, I mean, it's a good way to get people to decide altogether. They're not even going to do it anymore. And that's not what we want either. Right. Exactly. That's so true. It just it can turn people away, which is the opposite of what we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see it. I see it with uh, companies a lot that they're trying to do less plastic or let's say they're not going to do plastic bags anymore. But then instead of people praising the fact that they're trying, they're like, Oh, but what about the plastic you have over your fruit and vegetables or the plastic you have here? It's like, they're trying, give them a chance. It's a little at a time. Like nobody can change everything overnight. It's all a process. But as long as we're on a journey, like that's all I care about. As long as people are actually on a journey, That's the important thing. And I think as long as people care about something outside of themselves, they want to give back or or raise awareness or raise money or whatever it may be for something in this world that's that's not going in their own pocket. I think if, if everyone did that and picked the one thing they cared about, then I think every every everything gets covered, you know, like every charity gets covered, every type of thing. There's no one that's better than another. You know, people say, well, why do you care about animals when there's people starving? And why do you care about people starving if there's cancer? And why do you care? You know, there's no hierarchy to this stuff. Everything needs to happen. Everybody's passionate about what's touched them personally in their lives. And that's why I think things do touch us personally, because the universe knows it will push us toward being an advocate for whatever that cause is. And then everything gets covered because it's all equally important. You are just, you're speaking my language. I just, <laughs> I, I completely a hundred percent agree with you. It's, it, it's so true. I, it, it is, it's pretty funny how like, I, I, I mean, I always just end up laughing at it because I don't know what else to do when like you're trying to, you know, advocate for animal rights and then people come at you and they're like, 
but what about the people and <laughs> what about the human suffering? And it's like, yeah, no, of course, them too. But at the same time, like, there are other people whose passions are helping other humans, but our passions lie with animals because they don't have anybody else to speak up for them if it's not for for humans. They can't speak up for themselves or fight for themselves. So everybody's allowed to feel passionate about about yeah. a different topic. Okay, you might find this interesting because I know you haven't done much in the field of conservation and yeah. I've only done it for the past like three, four years. But the thing with conservation that I've really learned, if you if you start with, okay, animals are getting poached and you start digging into why, why is this happening? Why is that happening? It all comes back to communities and people that need to be able to put food on the table. So to save the animals, it is about saving the people. It's about giving them a way to support themselves and their communities and their families and giving them, maybe it's, not even a job, but a skill that they can hone and create their own business and they can thrive in their community. And then that can get passed down generation to generation. So to save the animals here, you are really are, you're saving the people. So they really do go hand in hand when you, when you dig deep into it, at least here anyway. That's pretty beautiful though, for, for them to, you know, be, be a part of one another, saving one species is saving the other human or, yeah. or animal. So please tell me about your life. When I found out what, what you've been doing lately, it blew my mind. You live in <laughs> South Africa. For those who don't know, when, when did you move to South Africa and why? I moved here at the end of 2016. Um, and it was to start a chapter of my charity. Um, my charity was evolving from a dog and cat rescue and I wanted to help more animals in a much bigger way and went on this journey of discovery and it led me here. Um, and I wanted to help. I didn't realize there was a poaching crisis and there were, there were some videos I saw that flipped a switch in me and changed my life. And I decided you know, elephants and rhinos and lions and all these animals could go extinct in our lifetime. And for me to, to not try to do anything about it, that's just not who I am. And, and that was what flipped in me that I said, this is what I want to go do with the charity. So I came out here and put a team together and we rebranded the charity to the Shannon Elizabeth Foundation because the work we're doing out here is much more serious. Um, so they made me do a whole rebranding, but Animal Avengers is our youth program still. Hmm. And, um, and, and so we're working on different initiatives. Rhino Review was, uh, one of our first big educational projects. So if you go to rhinoreview.org, that's, um, about a, a website took about two years to make, and it's everything you ever wanted to know about Rhino. And we're constantly updating it and we do weekly newsletters and, We'll, we'll forever be building on that. And our next project in that realm is Big, Big Cat Review. And so we want to go through and do all the species, but we want this information to get into schools. We want teachers to use it as part of their curriculum um, because educating the youth is so important, like we've talked about. So 
So that's something we've worked on. And then lately, as a direct response to COVID, there's been no tourism. And South Africa, a big part of their GDP is tourism. And with no tourism, then there's no money to pay the rangers. And the rangers are in the anti-poaching units are the ones who protect the animals. So now a lot of these animals are completely vulnerable because there's no money to, to pay for their jobs. So we, we've had an ongoing fund that we've put together. And we recently just spent a month in the bush distributing funds. We bought supplies for rangers. We did a bunch of dehornings. Uh, rhino dehornings because a few of the places we were in, they said, look, since we started doing dehornings, our poaching has gone down between 90 and a hundred percent. And so they can't deny that it has worked for them in their particular area. So we, we helped with a bunch of those and um, we, we asked people what's working and we're developing new programs now to support what's really working. And funnily enough, a lot of people said what's made the biggest difference for them is the canine units. And they've mm-hmm. got canine units that are making such a huge difference in their work. So we're now starting a new program that's animals protecting animals. And we're going to be um, doing very specific projects to raise funds and to help develop canine units and equestrian units. Um, so the animals out there that are actually like helping and people take such beautiful care of these animals. And, and that's what we want to help with as well. Um, to, you know, when you, when you meet these animals in the field, they're just incredible, the work that they're doing and they thrive on it and they're happy and, and so we want to support that. Um, so that's, those are kind of upcoming projects. And, and we recently started a podcast as well called The Art of Conservation. So we've just kind of started doing that recently. Um, so we can have some hard conversations about what's happening and why and what do we do about it? Because there's a lot of, a lot of views when it comes to conservation that are like opposing views. Like some people believe in the rhino horn trade and some people believe in no trade. And there's, there's very good reasons on both sides. So we wanted to break some of this down and really like talk to experts on both sides. And some of that is part of our rhino review website as well. But then, you know, hunting and no hunting and trophy hunting, and there's all these issues and you know, as a charity, we, we try to stay as neutral as we can when it comes to um, issues that could be controversial if we're just doing educational platforms. We want to give everyone a voice. But then with the, the podcast, we kind of dive deeper into it. And that's where we get to have our opinions and let loose a little bit. So, um, and then for next year, we're putting together a scholarship fund for local girls to get into the conservation sciences here that can afford to go to college and, and really learn about conservation and whatever the field of study is that they are interested in. So we've broken it down and to send them to school, to send them to college here for conservation sciences and whatever their field is, to give them housing, food, clothes, boots, whatever they need. I think we came up with a number of like 9,000, which is nothing. And that would be a five-year thing. So 9,000 a year over the course of five years. 
So what we, what I'm hoping to do is we'll sponsor a bunch of girls, but I'm hoping to find actors and influencers and business people that each will commit to sponsoring one girl over the course of her five years, because I think that's so doable for people. 9,000 a year over a course of five years, and then we can start getting more of these young women into conservation. Because it's, it's so funny how influence, influential women can be in the field because they just approach things from a softer, different viewpoint. And when it comes to talking to communities and working with communities, they respond better to women. So it's really important to, to help uplift these women as best we can. So that's just some of the stuff we do. I could go on and you could get really bored with me going on. So, uh, No, I literally <laughs> think you are probably the coolest person I actually know in my life. <laughs> like I, oh, You're so sweet. No, it's not at all. Um, I but I do want to get you out here sometime to do some fun stuff with us. So I would, I, I would love nothing more. It, Elephants were my my very very first love. Um, I yeah. way before I I knew even what the word veganism meant or even really what animal rights were. Um, I yeah. was obsessed with elephants when I was a kid. I had uh, a collection of like little animals, stat- uh, a little elephant statues and like trinkets of like over a hundred or something that I had in my room. Oh, so cool. I, well, wait till wait till we take you out and you see elephant babies playing oh. with each other in a watering hole. It's the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. It's I, so sweet. I can't believe that's even a sentence like that you just said. I that is my actual dream come true. It is. I'm gonna send you some videos because we we sat for like an hour watching. A, I think this this elephant family had like four little babies which usually you don't see that many little ones all together. And they were literally climbing all over each other playing. And it was so sweet. So I'm going to send you some videos. Oh my God. That's the cutest thing ever. That's so cute. Oh my, they, they're such majestic creatures. I, um, when I, when I was younger, it was kind of actually the first thing I had ever really learned or realized about animal rights but when I was really pretty young um I remember I would I would just type into google like elephants because I I just wanted to see pictures and I remember one time and I still like I can still literally see the image in my head and I it has stuck with me this was probably like 15 years ago like 10 to 15 years ago um i just googled elephants which is such a like funny thing i don't i don't know but i just was (laughs) wanted to see pictures of them and i saw a picture of one that had been killed for poaching and i i couldn't even under i was really young so i didn't even know what i was looking at but i i just started crying and then following that my parents didn't let me use uh the internet anymore (laughs) um but I just remember like that was my very first time realizing that animals were treated differently and very poorly and that was like my first interest that was my first love and my first passion was 
you know, I, I mean, I, again, I was very young, but like, I just wanted to help elephants. And as a, you know, seven or to 10 year old, I didn't know how, but like yeah. when I grew up, all I wanted to do was be able to, to help elephants. I had, a, I, for the longest time, I wanted to open an elephant sanctuary that would still be awesome, but I realized it was yeah. a little bit more difficult than my young self <laughs> realized. But like, um, that was always my first passion was, was poaching because I just, or not, that's not my passion, but ending Integrity. poaching yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because my mind was blown that humans would even want to take out these insanely majestic and beautiful and strong creatures all all different animals that are poached or or hunted for trophy hunting which is uh, so insane but or the bone trade like lion bone trade and tiger bone trade it's just it, you you would die if you saw the amount of things that people come up with to to do here to exploit animals and make money. Like it it never stops, and it's it's almost at this point where it's like nothing surprises me anymore because I've seen so much. It's like they're doing that now. Like like how do people come up with this stuff and who is buying it? Like it just doesn't even make sense to me. It's crazy it's it's i mean there's so many things i could tell you the level that people go to just to do this and then just smuggle it out of the country and then on the other side people are buying it and it's just insane you just couldn't believe i know so, and it was it was an elephant poaching video by the way and i wasn't super young that um that flipped that switch in me when i said this is what i want to do with the charity um it was, it's still, it, I think it's still on my Instagram. It would have been in 2015 if people want to go that far back on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a ranger that was walking in the field and you hear him say, this poor baby's been out here all night suffering. And you see her trunk off to one side and then you see her and then she moves. And I couldn't believe it. I, I never comprehended that these animals were still alive while they were being killed, like for their, their horn. Like I always just assumed they'd kill them and then they would remove the ivory or the rhino horn. I never, for some reason thought that they're just disabling them enough to take what they want and leave. And then they bleed out and then they suffer. And then like with some of them, the babies are right there next to them as they're dying. The babies are crying and trying to protect their moms as the mom is dying and there's nothing they can do. And that's the most heartbreaking stuff that I see. Like, I, that's the kind of stuff that I, I've gotten to a point that I can't watch anymore because I know it's happening. And I, it's, it's, that's what we're fighting for. Like, it, it's so heartbreaking and it's happening. I mean, with the rhinos, it's happening. Um, on average three what are we at three four a day no yeah and with the but with the elephants you're you're not if you haven't heard this number you're not going to be happy and it's not here in south africa as much as it is in other parts of africa but it's on average it's happening to the elephants on average 99 a day no yeah 
holy shit. For, I oh can't my. even wrap my head around it. It's like for the amount of time we've been talking, an elephant's been killed. Two oh elephants. My. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me how people can do this. And it's just, and, and the amount of animals that this is happening to. I mean, what they're doing to lions out here, I can't even go into. It's, it's insane. And then there's these, there's pangolins, like you name the animal and they found a way to kill them and make money out of it. Isn't that it's, just like the theme of the human existence though, is to find out how to best exploit those. Anything. Us? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It, I mean, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, one of our newsletters that was, um, so Peter Borchard, who is on our board out here, he's a great conservationist and he's our editor in chief of Rhino Review. He wrote a newsletter um, editorial and it was about how we're the race to get to Mars and how we're looking to go to Mars. And he's, he's so right. Cause he's like, shouldn't we figure out how to survive on this planet first without killing the planet? Because we are killing everything on this planet. And now you want to go to another planet and take from that and kill everything on that planet. It's like, yeah, we all want to, we are all curious and we all want to know what other planets are like, but are we just going to go fill it with plastic and take the water from it and kill anything living there and do, you know, testing on it? Like, I shudder to think what's going to happen when we can get to more places and just spread out what we're doing now because we haven't even figured out how to live here properly. Oh my God. So, so true. It's so crazy to me that it's not our first instinct to try to fix what we've done. I mean, to a point there's no going back. We have done so much damage to this earth and to the creatures that live on it that aren't human, and I mean, and damage to humans as well. We've, as humans, messed so many things up and made so many mistakes. And it's so, it's so sad that a lot of people's response to that is to go just try to leave what happened here because they, people don't even think that we can begin to fix it because they can't understand a life in which we're just not taking from every single possible creature. How, how you're saying it's insane that people have figured out a way to exploit all these different types of animals. There's very, very few animals on this earth. I don't even know if there, there's one that we haven't found a way to exploit. And that is probably, to me, one of the saddest parts of human existence is that we have destroyed this planet and we have also destroyed a lot of living beings' chances or possibilities at living a natural, happy, peaceful life. Yeah. I mean, that goes for people, animals, plants, uh, water, air, like you name it, we are finding ways to hurt it. And we're, we're, we haven't gone over the tipping point yet for the planet not being able to come back, but we're very close. And that's why it's important that we, we work on climate issues. We can't ignore them. We can't pretend there's no climate change. Like we have to all do our part 
and work on these issues. And we, we, we need these great scientists and inventors that are coming up with ways to better the world and doing it in ways that aren't creating more problems and we're not hurting the world, but it's actually solving so many problems. And I mean, that's the great thing about like technology is people are coming up with great things. We just need all the guys with lots of, of money and power to get behind them and really like push them into the mainstream and, and for people to accept, you know, like why, why does Starbucks still have plastic straws? Like, mm. I think they're, they're starting to change that, but I get so upset when somebody walks, like when they're in Starbucks and they grab a plastic straw, it's like, carry your own straw use paper, but don't use plastic. I mean, that's such a minor little thing, but if people just started thinking about the little things, it would lead them to thinking about the bigger things. But if they can't even think about the little things, then they're not thinking about any of it probably. And, and that's what's frustrating is just to, to be aware of what's happening around us and what little changes can you make? Um, there's a really great documentary that, that just came out. Um, I don't know if you've seen it called kiss the ground. No, I haven't. Please watch it. You will, your mind will be blown. It's, it's about like the soil and the planet and regenerative farming. Mm -hmm. And it it will make you want to start growing all of your own fruits and vegetables, composting all of your leftovers. Like it's, it, and I've always done a little bit of it, but this, I learned a lot from this documentary and I know they've been working on it for a while and I know some of the people in it, but I didn't know the degree of some of the information that they give you in it. And it's, it's really important. And if we started doing what, what they're teaching in that, if all the farming became regenerative farming, it would make such a big difference. If we stop using all the chemicals that we use right. on fruits and vegetables, like if people would just stop, they could see in this documentary, the people that aren't using all those chemicals are actually having bigger, better crops now because they're doing it the proper way. And, right. and it's like little things like this, like if people just started making these changes, I think it could make all the difference for the planet. So I mean, that is, that's my hope for the future is that we're able to all work together and love each other and help each other and support each other and not, not just take and be greedy and, and just, you know, like the idea of wanting to, to do things just because of your own ego, like do things because it's going to help someone else, not because you're going to be noticed for it or you're going to get thanked for it or it's not about ego. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you die, it's certainly not about that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think we just, we all need to just kind of change our mindset and everything needs to be about something bigger than us because at the end of the day, it all is bigger than us. So, and I think that's where we're going to find peace and happiness and love. I mean, for me, that's, that's where I've found my peace and happiness. And, and I know that the work that I'm doing here, this kind of, you know, conservation work is what I'll be doing my, the rest of my life. And, and I'm not saying I'm not going to be acting, um, because I think of acting as my job and it gives me such a great platform for the work. Mm -hmm. So 
I've got my job and then I've got my mission of being on this planet. And I think everyone's looking for that mission. And when you find it, you feel it and you find such a happiness that you were empty before. You didn't realize you were empty until you found that, okay, this is my reason for being here. And it's never about yourself. It's always about something else. And that's where you find happiness. I wish every single person thought like you and felt like you. I I am so amazed because there are so many people that talk the talk, but you are hands-on helping in the most insane and powerful way. And it's, it's so, so beautiful. I, so I you, by doing this podcast, by doing things like this and using your voice and using your reach, you're, you're doing just as much. And I'm grateful to you for doing everything that you're doing because it all matters and it all makes a difference and, and you're incredible. So thank you for doing everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. I I definitely, this is much less important than saving elephants and rhinos, but you know, I try where I can. <laughs> um, well, I, feel the same. I, mean, I try where I can, but I feel there's people doing way more than I feel like I'm doing. And at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I really did anything. So again, oh. there's all different levels of doing and you know, and there's always going to be the people that are hands-on in the field. And then there's the people that support them. And not everybody can be hands-on in the field all the time. And, right. and I think we all have gifts that we're given. And, you know, you and I have been given platforms because of our, our acting and our work. And I think that to, if we were to go just work in the field and not use those platforms, we'd be wasting something that was a gift given to us that I feel like we're meant to be using. You're so, so it's right. important for us to, to really identify what is, what is the gift that we've been given and how do we use that? Like, what do we have that not everybody has that we need to utilize to the best of our abilities? And for some people, it's, they are a vet you know, or they are a ranger and that's their gift. And I mean, our, our gifts are different. So we have to use what we're given best way we can. And I think for me, I'm forever kind of looking to answer that question. Am I using my gift the best way I can? How can I use it better? What else can I be doing? And that's just part of the journey we'll be on for a very long time, hopefully. I think you're doing a pretty great job, in my opinion. I, I think I, I think you don't have to be concerned that you're not doing enough. I think that you are uh, the shining example of what I would like to strive to be. Um, Thank you. Well, you're going to come out here and do some stuff with me, and we're going to have fun, and we're going to share it with the world. So that is Hopefully, we can get other people out here to do the same, and we can keep doing that. I would love to do that more than truly anything. It's one of my biggest dreams to see these animals in real life and in a, not in a terrible zoo-like setting, but in their natural environment, yeah. living their lives. So I have, I have two questions about, about things that you have brought up. So one, I'd love for you to tell me about what being in the bush for a month looks like what what that experience is like and then if you could tell tell us what dehorning is okay um so when i was in the bush recently 
it was every day we were in a new place. We kept moving around. Um, so we, we started out in, we were meeting a friend who's rescued a blind black rhino. And so we went and basically did a lot of film footage on the rhino and we're going to be his partner. And so that's like one area where we are. Um, and then from there, we would go to another area where sometimes we were staying in like nice, nicer places. And sometimes we stayed in what's called a researcher's camp, which is literally, you know, a concrete room with a bed in it. So, so there was no consistency. Like we'd have a few days in a, in like a, a normal, decent, I don't know how to describe it. Um, a lot of a lot of the camps would be like tented camps, but it would be a big like it's a tent technically, but it still has some walls and it still has like running water and toilet. But quite often it'll be solar powered and um, good to the planet. And so we would one day we'd get up really early and go work with the rangers and we'd go up in the helicopters and um, and then we would drive to see some property nearby and what the work they're doing with community is. And it, it, every day was a new adventure. Um, and we tried to kind of outline it as we went on. Um, I think I wasn't doing a great job on my personal social, but the Shan Elizabeth Foundation social media, we tried to like put some stuff out there along each step of the journey. And we're still putting like stuff out there. Um, from that trip. Um, but what dehorning is, so rhinos are getting killed for their horn because in a lot of areas, rhino horn is more valuable than gold or cocaine on the black market. So it's going, I think it, it was around 80,000 a kilo. Now it might be down to 60,000 a kilo. And one rhino horn can be a it could be like on average five kilos. So it's a lot of money. Wow. And when the rhino, so what's happening quite often, in the middle of the night, especially on a full moon, the rhinos are getting poached for those horns. So syndicate men, members, so I'm not sure how deep to go, but you can there are go as far as you want. I, I am so interested in just learning. Okay. Um, so the same people that are dealing arms and drugs and human trafficking um, are the same people that are running the syndicates that are poaching. And a lot of the, um, the groups that you might have heard about, like Al-Shabaab, um, there, there's a lot of African um, groups that are terrorist groups that will quite often fund the, the terrorism they're doing to buy like guns and stuff. They'll fund it with the illegal wildlife trade because it's an easy way for them to get something valuable and use it as currency to buy guns or drugs, whatever it may be. Mm. So it's easy for them to get somebody from local communities and usually they'll be in groups of two or three They'll, they'll offer them what might be $1,000 or $5,000, which for them is a lot of money. And they'll offer it to them and say, here's a gun. All you have to do is bring back the rhino horn and the gun, and then I'll give you your money. 
And they'll give them uh, what's called a penga, which is like a long knife, basically. Mm. And um, they'll send them out. And it's very orchestrated. And it's it, it goes very deep. Um, but they're killing them for their horns. So quite often, a lot of the reserves are finding that if they cut the horn off of the rhino, the rhinos aren't getting poached as much because there's less there on the rhino to be as valuable for these guys. But you can't cut the whole thing off, just like your nails. You can't cut your nail bed off. You can only cut the tip of the nail off, but you still have the nail bed. It's the same with a rhino horn. There's about, if you put your four fingers together, there's about four fingers worth of rhino horn at the base of the horn that you can't cut off because that's attached to their nasal cavity. Mm-hmm. So they can cut the tip of it off, which quite often can be very long and very heavy. And if you're looking at night, you can see the silhouette of that horn. So then they know, okay, there's a rhino that I'm going to go kill. But if there's no horn, it's, it's less valuable for them. And to put their life at risk for so little, it's, it's not as worth it for them quite often. So they won't do it. They'll look for a different rhino. It's just starting to make a difference on some of these reserves. So for the places where it does make a difference and they believe in dehorning their rhino, that's what they do. And you need about four or five permits to dehorn a rhino in South Africa. Um, You have to apply for these permits with the government. You have to store the rhino horn properly. It has to be like um, DNA tested, tagged, ID'd, and it goes into a secure location locked up because it is valuable and you can't keep it in your home or you will get robbed at gunpoint. Um, Every Everything needs to be DNA tested. Um, And it's part of a program that they do if an animal gets poached and somebody is caught at an airport, let's say, with a bunch of rhino horn, they can now trace that horn back to where that animal came from if that animal's been dehorned and the DNA sample has been recorded. So it helps over time to give law enforcement an idea of hot spots, maybe some, some area there there's corruption and a lot of rhino horn. And it's the same with elephant ivory as well. You can tell where a lot of it's coming from. And then, you know, you have a problem possibly internally that you need to deal with. Um, So there's a lot of reasons to get that DNA sample and there's a blood sample and there's a hair sample. So, they, they'll, they'll do everything that they need while the animal is sedated. Right. Um, and then you take off the horn basically with a chainsaw. It's Holy not, shit. Uh, it's not a, it's not a fun process. It's, it's quite, so you're, so the vet will dart the rhino and he'll dart him with what's called M99, which is 10,000 times more potent than morphine. Um, but they figured out the right cocktail of, of stuff to put in it so that the animal based on their size and what they think the weight is so that the animal is down, but not completely out because they want her to keep her head upright because it's so much easier to do it 
to do the dehorning with their head upright. And you want them to fall a certain way so they're not laying on their limbs because if they're like all that weight is laying on their arms too much for too long, then they, they could lose circulation in that area. They have trouble walking afterwards. So they've really gotten it down to a science and a good vet can do the whole thing in like 15, 20 minutes and you're done. So you dart them. You wait for them to go down. Then the team runs in and you cover their eyes with some, like basically like a blindfold because then there's less stimulation for them to be scared of. Um, You put um, something in their ears so they don't hear everything as loudly. Um, And then you do all your DNA sampling and they measure the horn the diameter around the base, the length of the horn, everything. And then they use the chainsaw to take it off. And then they basically use a, a sand, like a sander and they sand off the, the edges so that it's kind of rounded instead of flat because it's just able on the edges to take a little bit more of that horn off. So you're leaving even less there. Right. And then when all of that is done, and all the samples have been done. Um, you take everything off of her and out and you give her an antidote that wakes her up. And then we all back off and we wait for her to wake up. And quite often she'll get up. And if it's a white rhino, she'll get up and, and start looking for whatever friend she was with before that. Because they usually they'll run around in pairs. Um, unless we did two at the same time, then they'll get up together and they'll run off together. So um, you have seen this in person? multiple times too many times yeah if you come out here i'll take you on a rhino dehorning wow that is so insane it's so so it's emotional it feels like that they feel it but they don't and when they the dart just like anesthesia for us sometimes they'll shake and you see them there and and then the vibration of the chainsaw you just you're like how does this animal go through all of this and how can they not feel it and but the vets have gotten so good at it and they do it so quickly now and they're like i i promise you in like 30 minutes they'll run off and it's like it never happened they just like anesthesia with us we won't they don't remember it they will run off and they're good and they've seen it over and over one of the vets we were working with has done over 2000 of these Wow. He's gotten so good at it and it sucks that he has to be this good at it because it means that we have to keep doing it because that's what's helping to save them. Right. And there are some places that don't believe in doing it and that's completely fine. Then you have to have a very good anti-poaching unit and lots of layers of security and it's, just, it's very expensive and hard to protect them. But if you can protect them without doing it, that's amazing. And that's first prize. We don't want to have to do it. It's not, you know, nobody wants to do this. We want to see a rhino with their horn. Like, but, but if it's making the difference that they say it's making, then how can you argue with those numbers? You know, it's saving their lives. So there's nothing like, you know, they're, you're about to wake them up and you give them a kiss and you tell them that they're safe now. And, and you just pray that they are. And that's all you can do is you pray they're safe. Wow. And that's what we're doing. Like we're doing what we feel like in this moment is right because it seems to be working. 
I mean, and, it's so sad that that's what it's come to. But at the same time, if if it's if they're bound to get poached, it's either doing this process or protecting, or I mean, either doing this process and protecting them, or losing their life eventually. So I, I mean, it is. I can imagine how emotional and, and how devastating it is to to have to do this to them. But at the same time, if you don't, then there's a good chance, it sounds like, that they would eventually end up being killed for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you when you go to an orphanage and you see the babies, these these are all babies that whose moms were killed. Most of them that are there, their moms have been poached and rangers and people found them in the field by their moms trying to protect her. And they'll, those babies will die. And we, we have to, as people, intervene because it was us as people that killed the moms. You know, it's, it's different when it's, it's evolution and it's animals and then you can not interfere. But when we're the ones taking the moms, then we have to be the ones to try to rescue the babies because it's the only way we're going to save the species. And then it's keeping those babies as safe as possible and, and letting them grow up and breed themselves so that you can try to replenish the species. And we need to get the birth rate higher than the death rate. And that's very difficult to do. Oh my God, we ha- we as humans have done so many, so many terrible things to these amazing different species, and are, they're so. It's, I mean, it's so hard to even talk about or and to. I, it's so important to hear you say all this stuff, but it's so hard to listen. What we're doing is a band aid. If oh, if yeah. you want to, like, when you when you start digging into why are people doing it, you go and you look at the those syndicates are giving community members money to go make some money. Here's what you have to do. Those community people quite often, they don't want to go kill this animal and they don't want to poach, but they do want to put food on the table for their, their wife, their kids. And you can't blame them for that. And that's why the answer is never kill the poacher. If you, it is to find the syndicate members. If you can find the tops of the syndicates, that's the work, the undercover work that needs to be done. But these guys that are going out and doing the poaching quite often are not part of those syndicates. They're just pawns in their game. And, and if we can find ways to uplift those communities that surround these areas, bring them into the conservation economy, give them a reason to care about these animals because their livelihood is part of these animals. They need to have reasons to, you know, like jobs and careers where their money and their job thrives when tourism thrives, not when the animals are gone, you know, and then they'll have even more money than these, these guys could offer them. Then when somebody comes in looking to poach, they become your eyes and ears and they tell you when somebody's asking around that shouldn't be, and that's how you protect them. And that's the kind of, of synergy that has to happen around all of these reserves. And that's, that's why community programs are so important. Finding, finding ways to give these people alternative means of, of financial security long-term. Yeah. And that's, that's why saving the animals is saving the people. 
it's such an intertwining issue of so many different issues. It's, yeah, it's, it it's crazy it's how it all ties in together and how the, the livelihoods or, you know, the well-being of both humans and animals alike kind of depend on each other. And hopefully yeah. we, we can maybe find a place where they can both happily, safely and healthily exist. And you're doing so much work to ensure that that's the future that we're going towards rather than taking steps backwards, which is so, so important. And and so, I mean, truly the best work I think anybody could possibly be doing on this earth. And so I, I really can't even believe that I get to talk to you about this and that I I get to say that you're my friend and I I get to have you a part as a part of my life and I can't wait to come to come be with you one day. I I just I really can't wait. Well, if you ever do want to to create your dream of an elephant sanctuary, we could probably find ways to do that. It it really just takes funding find ways to fund it and we will create that sanctuary for you, that orphanage, whatever it is your dream is, we can, we can all work together to make it happen. So never lose that dream. Oh my God. That's, that's, that's like the best, that's the best thought in the world. I I mean, that's, you were saying this as well, but I, I do kind of feel like acting or, or music or, or really anything is kind of my, is my job obviously, but helping animals is is really where my heart is and where I want to be eventually and I I love so much I and I'm so grateful that I I get to be a a creative person and and I get to act and make music but at the same time a part of me is just doing this so that I can eventually get to that where I can eventually you're doing it now just by doing this podcast you're making a difference I promise you and and maybe one day you'll do documentaries about it maybe you can find ways you know to do music about it or put music in documentaries that are helping the animals like keep intertwining your loves because that's using all of your talents together and and make one help the other because you you have a platform, you have a voice. So what you're doing now is exactly what you could be doing now and should be doing now to help the animals. And and not eating them is the best thing you can do to help an animal. That is the absolute truth and so important. For people who are listening who want to learn more about your organization, where can they find more information? Um, ShannonElizabeth.org is our foundation's website. Um, RhinoReview.org is the rhino information website that I mentioned. Uh, RangerRelief.org is the specific fund we set up for rangers. That'll be an ongoing fund. And then um, all of our social media, especially um, Instagram and Facebook. And I think both handles are Shannon Elizabeth FDN. And of course, all of my stuff, I try to I mainly post about the charity stuff anyway. So I try to, to support that with all of the work that we're doing and, and, and we're trying to, we're trying to do completely different posts. So you get different information from me than you get from the charity and so on. So, so yeah. Yeah. Thank 
you. And, and Art of Conservation is the podcast if people want to subscribe or download. Um, but we're, we're just starting it. We're very new. So you, you've got more under your belt than I do. I'm very new too. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> but I can't wait to check yours out. And I'm so grateful I got to talk to you today. And thank you so much. I, I learned so much. And I can't wait for, for the listeners to hear this too, because I think no insult to every other episode I've ever done. But I think this is definitely my favorite episode. Oh, yay. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm really, really grateful. And I was so excited to come on and play with you today. So it was a lot of fun. Yay! Anytime you want me on, I'm here. And anytime you, we're allowed to fly again and you want to come out here, you know you always have a home here. Oh, thank you, Shannon. I love you. I love you too. Oh my God, she's awesome. What a rock star, man. Like uh, truly an animal Avenger. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going. I'm going. I know you're like 21 and you're an adult and you can make your own choices, but like I heard her invite you over and over again. And every time she did, my asshole clenched up and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> oh, I'm going. I, I I'm glad that wait. I'm glad that in the interview you just played along and you were like, yeah, I'll happily go, but you're not going. Oh no, I'm going. It's literally my dream come true. All I've ever wanted is to meet an elephant in real life that's not in a terrible setting like a zoo. I just want to meet an elephant in person as a elephant in a sanctuary it's that it's gonna happen so you can come with no way man you don't want to come you don't know that's what we have the internet for you look at a picture of an elephant or you you see a live feed of an elephant like just roaming around the serengeti or whatever the fuck and you're like yay good for that elephant but that elephant don't want to fuck around with you that elephant don't want to meet you hey I'll be in the video like, hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the elephant's like another one of these videos who's like <laughs> selfie. Um, doesn't get to know me, just wants to take a picture with me. Fucking jerk. <laughs> um, yeah, well, look, you're an adult. You're going to do what you're going to do. But I know right now you ain't going anywhere. It won't be for a while. So you have some a little bit of time for your asshole to unclench before I go to something. <laughs> absolutely true i might be able to rest by that point i do um, have i have some uh i have some news what is it so, after that incredible interview you buried the lead you did a whole show and then finally at the end you're like oh by the way i have some news what is it so uh you might be familiar with the frito pie i've talked about yes harley before she left was telling me that there's a frito pie um, that one could enjoy in a place called the Spiral. Is that it? Spiral Diner? Spiral Diner. And um, that's why I chiefly wanted to go visit my daughter in Dallas so that I could eat this vegan Frito pie. He did not want to come actually visit his daughter. He just wanted a Frito pie. And um, Then Harley told me that the restaurant that she was hyping with the Frito pie <laughs> no longer has the Frito <laughs> pie. And so I told Harley, I said, look, just go in there. And start throwing money around all gross like a like a coastal elite and be like, how much for a Frito pie? <laughs> <laughs> you could order off menu. I said, tell them if you have to, tell them like it's for your dad and your dad made clerks. I'm not going into an establishment telling them my dad made clerks and therefore asking 
<laughs> to have them make a specialty item. It's a, be surprising how many doors it opens. Is all I'm saying. Uh huh. Um. Well, I. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to you. When you come visit, you can say, hey, I made clerks. <laughs> can you make me? Leave it. I'm going to go right in there and be like, I hear you guys got an amazing Frito pie. Well, I'm the guy that made clerks and I want to eat it. <laughs> and they'll be like, can you please leave? <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like, you're the guy that made clerks. That movie was in black and white. And I'm like, yeah, I love that movie. And I'm like, thanks, man. I, hell, hell yeah, I'm going to make you Frito pie. That's, oh, I, I hope and that scene. <laughs> See, I can act too. You got it. That, you got the accent down to the science. <laughs> I do. I feel like I honored the local patois. Um, <clears throat> there it is, folks. You got to listen to two, three stars of Jane Silent Bob reboot on, on this podcast. Um, you got to hear two died in the wool animal activists. But only one of them's over in Africa. Uh, give it up for our guest, uh, the wonderful, always wonderful, heroic <clears throat> animal avenger herself, Shannon Elizabeth. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, great job interviewing, man. You're, you've gotten so much better at this. In the beginning, you were like, ah, hello! Ah. Now, Fuck. You're, <laughs> now you're all butter smooth and shit. And you're like, let me ask you this, Shannon. Thanks for the backhanded compliment. <laughs> You ever find a poacher and hang him up by his fucking nutsack? You right? You know what I'm saying, man? With a hook. That's <laughs> weird. I missed that part of the interview. <laughs> um, I was glad that you didn't get like uh, you know uh, teary during the interview. That you weren't like. It's it's a shame. It, it breaks my heart. You're very sensitive. You have a tender heart, so you were able to get through that without breaking down and being like, I have to go. I off. I, I definitely did get a, a, some tears in my eyes, but I stayed strong. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't hear it in the voice. You weren't like, <laughs> which is always really difficult to edit out of an interview. <laughs> it's a little hard. So the editor, that's also me. <laughs> I know. You're like, I'm not going to let myself sound like I'm crying. I'm not going to show them my soft side. I got to be hard, hardly Quinn. <laughs> Can we can we hire an editor? No way. No way. <laughs> I'd it's like to retire. Show. I'd really you like to retire. retire. I'm telling you, man. All you, well, the, the easiest way around that is you just keep the intro and the outro as short as possible. You just so that means when I go on a flight of fancy, you have to be like, "Um, man, shut up. We have to start the show." <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, demand have respect for the editor. Don't say things that aren't going to be on the show. <laughs> Uh, did you enjoy this conversation? Have we butchered the bullshit? Have we slaughtered the misinformation for you kids? Um, if we did, it's because of, uh, the junior version, junior mint version of myself over there in the computer, uh, Ms. Harley Quinn Smith. Um, and that, um, is vegan abattoir, uh, for this week, ladies and gentlemen, I sound so tentative and confused i know i was like like an old man lost at the mall i'm like is this sears (laughs) (laughs) i was confused what was happening (laughs) i gotta go i gotta come in with authority and shit hold on here we go watch this don't edit that out man i don't mind people seeing warts and all i like them knowing i'm human and shit of course (laughs) and that 
is Vegan Abattoir for this week, man. For Vegan Abattoir, I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Harley Quinn Smith. Get out of our Vegan Abattoir. Yeah.